You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. From Shakespeare to Schwartz, from Fosse to Alvin Ailey, from Sondheim to Borellis, from McNally to Fay, it happened to the greats, it still happens every day. When lightning strikes, it's the moment you know. When lightning strikes, where you're meant to go, you can stand and shout your Hi, this is Gerald Brunner, and you're listening to When Lightning Strikes, where we talk about the tingly mic drop moments that led you to becoming an artist. Ariane Moyad was nominated for a Tony Award for his dazzling performance playing Torvald in a doll's house opposite Jessica Chastain, an Emmy and Tony-nominated actor, writer, and director. In 2002, he co-founded Waterwell, a risk-taking and civic-minded nonprofit theater company. Some of his other theater credits include The Humans, Guards at the Taj, and Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo. Just a few of Ariel's TV and film credits include Stewie in the HBO hit Succession, Love Life, Spider-Man No Way Home, Inventing Anna, Ms. Marvel, and most recently, A24's You Hurt My Feelings. So welcome. It's such a joy to have you and an honor to have you on the show. Thanks, Carol. Thank you. So what a surreal month, I imagine. It's been for you. You know, coming off yeah. <laughs> coming off, you know, this gorgeous production of a doll's house. And also ending succession, you know, the same month. So <laughs> you know, crazy. How does it feel yeah. to say goodbye to these, not to be so dark, but yeah. to say goodbye no, to these beautiful mean. characters who you created? I mean, you know, it's, it's, it is a surreal time. It's yeah. It was both, it was three things. It was you hurt my feelings, this film, this new Nicole Hollis movie that just came out, um, doll's house and, um, succession. I mean, when it rains, it pours, I mean, to be real with you, it was, Doing the play was so invigorating and so exciting and like, and, and working on all, you know, all my scenes were essentially with, uh, with, um, with the great Jessica Chastain playing Nora, uh, Nora Helmer. Um, but I will also say eight shows a week is inhumane (laughs) and my body was just by the end of it, just no longer able to do it. Um, and it was just the, you know, just the proximity of just being in that chair and just all that built up emotion, just constantly like enraged and, you know, it's good to let some of that stuff go, um, with succession, you know, it's funny cause I'd let go of succession all prior yes, to that, you know, my last day of shooting was February 10th, but it's sad to see that show go. It's sad to see it kind of like, end. it's after, you know, four glorious years, I will say it was for we ended with such a hot on a such a high note yes. that it just feels so exciting to you know be in something that just like lands in such an amazing way um but it's sad to see it go yeah yeah, yeah i want to start with the doll's house because mm. i i've seen many iterations of that play i love the play but i've never seen 
a production like this production with Amy Herzog's adaptation, this pared down uh, production, uh, Jamie Lloyd directing it. I mean, here you are, you're all on stage, bare bones, you know, it's stripped down and yet it's so full and rich. Can you explain that? You know, what, and what went through your mind when you heard about this production? You know, I mean, it is a phenomenon. <laughs> you know, it, it, there is no, there's nothing but just the acting and the words and very minimal staging. Yes. Um, exciting staging, but so minimal. So thrilling. Uh, mm-hmm. um, but I think a lot of it is, you know, just the, the, the immense trust that Jamie had for the actors an immense trust that aim, uh, that Jamie had for the words and just letting us be there and letting it be what it needs to be. You know, the other big portion of this process is that we had these microphones that were attached, uh, visibly attached to us, um, like lavaliers. It's visible so that the audience purposefully knows that we are being microphone, you know, like that we're being mic'd um, so, so that we can even get quieter and because we're showing you on, in on the illusion, we're not hiding what we're trying to do. And those moments where it gets so quiet and so small and so tight and so uncomfortable with the microphones and the ability to have these amazing words, you know, it was easier for us to drop into something very honest and real that feels like you're watching a private conversation publicly. Yeah. It was so intimate. Mm. So, to, And I love there was a moment where Jessica Nora says, here's a cup of tea and she doesn't even improvise, right? Is that the left? Yeah. She doesn't even, and you think, I don't even need to see her her improvising a cup of tea. I get it. I'm with you. Yeah. And I just thought it was it was such a riveting production. Yeah. yeah. One of the moments that I think you're thinking of is when she's like, here's your ring. Oh, here's your ring. Okay. Sorry. And yeah. she does. Yeah. No, yeah. no, no, not at all. She goes, here's your ring. Mm-hmm. And, and then she waits a sec. She doesn't move. Yes. And I'm looking at her and she's looking at me. And, she, and, and then she goes, um, ne- now give me mine. Yes. And then, you know, then that's all you need. Yeah. And then in that, in, in, in those scenarios, there's another great moment between Michael Patrick Thornton and Jessica Chastain. Michael Patrick Thornton plays the great, um, plays Dr. Rank and he obviously just an unbelievable performance, yes. but there's like, let me light this cigar for you. Thank you. You know, it's such a beautiful moment that by doing the action of lighting the cigar, it actually takes away from the intimacy of the, what the two of them are experiencing with each other. I mean, there's so much to talk about. I, w- I just want to go back to you, to your childhood for a second, or the moment mm. when you knew you had to be an artist, because you have, from what I've read, just a really fascinating and I imagine complicated, if I may say, trajectory, you know, that yeah. you came here to, when you were five, if I have this right? Yeah, I was, that's right. I was a kid that moved here, um, leaving, yeah. kind of escaping Iran yeah. in like a war-torn moment in which our whole family was kind of just 
shattered in a weird way. And I was, I'm the youngest of, of, of four kids by 17 years. So it's a, I was a big surprise and it was a, you know, crazy time in the world. And Iran in the United States was not a good thing to, you know, wasn't a, you know, wasn't a popular country, um, to say the least. So yeah, all those things brought, and then my parents didn't speak a lot of English. We were not of a class to really move over. Um, and so we had that very, I imagine what most people that don't know, what would imagine to be a very typical rough and tough immigrant kind of upbringing, um, full of joy and love. And, and the joy and love of it all was kind of maybe why uh, um, I wanted to, you know, I'm only speculating these, these things as a 43-year-old man looking back at what was happening at that time. But, but maybe what was happening at that time was that I was making my family laugh doing bits of things that I would watch on TV. My, my family was kind of like addicted to like Three's Company and um, the like slapsticky type stuff. And, and I could maybe mimic some of that. We watched Charlie Chaplin films as a kid. And so maybe subconsciously I was doing all that just to like make everyone laugh. Um, and maybe that's where it all started from. Um, or, 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 and maybe it's a little bit of God, you know, mm-hmm. there, there, you know, all those pieces together can come together and, and, and form someone. And, and, and really, I think that those being an immigrant growing up in this country, especially as Iranians, especially, you know, trying to make ends meet and, you know, so much, you know, micro terrible trauma, dramatic things that were happening at the time. Um, but what was also happening at the time was I was realizing that it's never going to get as bad as this. And so, so much of, you know, I get asked by so many people because I have so many hats that I wear as a teacher, as a producer, as a writer, as a director, as an actor. And so, um, and it, none of that seems as hard as none of the stuff that I'm doing today feels as hard as, 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 as being an immigrant in this country. That, that to me feels still harder. Like I would not want to go back to those times. Yeah, I think about, and yeah. again, they had so much joy in that time. Yeah. I, I'm only giving, yeah. there was love and humanity and, you know, laughs, but, but crazy. I can't even imagine. I mean, not be able to speak the language fully and feel maybe feeling like an outsider. Do you mind me asking, what did your parents do when they got here? My dad was, um, when they got here, you know, you know, my father tried to start a business that didn't do very well and, and kind of like epically, you know, sadly failed and, um, and really couldn't get it off the ground after that, really. Um, you have to realize my parents were much older. So when they, they're trying things in their 50, oh. and when they got here, they were like, they in their fifties, you know? Um, so it was tricky. All of that was really, really tricky. Um, and then, um, my mom really, really was the breadwinner of our family. And she, she basically had a lot of jobs. She, she worked in childcare a lot. So there would be like, um, babysitting and nannying. Um, and she worked at a childcare center for a long time. And then, and then when we'd come home, she'd like, she'd also like work as like, um, a seamstress, like on the side, like, cause that was something that she could do. So it was just, you know, I was watching my family, you know, my mom, my dad trying to like make all that stuff happen, you know, um, with, 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 and learning the new skill sets. Um, so do you remember one of the first times you performed or were on stage or tell me about mm-hmm. that? 
because I'm curious how you got. I was in ESL classes. I was in ESL classes till fourth grade, and in the third grade, um, the 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 um, <laughs> it was cool. The ESL teacher, I guess, did a like a wanted to like do a performance of all the different cultures that are at our school. This is a north suburb of Chicago, um, and in this in the middle school is called Winkleman, which is in Northbrook, Illinois. Um, and I grew up in Northbrook Glenview borderline. Um, and in this neighborhood, um, uh, in the school at, at Winkleman, they had this moment where all the ESL kids had to come on stage and like say hello in their own language as part of the, uh, um, like the assembly and, and, and you had to dress up like you were Iranian. And so I remember the night before my mom and I were going through the closet trying to find like what we would wear, but we didn't really have anything that was super Iranian. So it kind of, and I kind of slightly looked Russian, um, but that's what we had. And we, 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 we came in and I performed it. And I remember Miss Roar's third grade class with like Lauren Anderson and Justin Tanner and Jennifer Jameson and all, and Anand Shah and Clay Hamana. And all of a sudden I kind of saw them kind of like wave. I was like, this feeling is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, I was such a, I, 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 you know, being in ESL was kind of weird, you know, like I was, you know, it's just like a, it was cool though. It, that, that was a real, and then in fifth grade, Gerald, yes. obviously I played Santa Claus's personal trainer. Of course. <laughs> um, where I did, a, I'm sure, a, 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 a fair deal of yelling. You mean like like <laughs> sit ups and yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, he sit ups and yeah yeah he had to do sit ups and stuff though it doesn't really make any sense because Santa Claus doesn't really exercise it seems but maybe I guess in this we had world to. yes so yes, so how exactly. did you went to IU right so how did you go mm. from you know being Santa Claus's trainer to um, deciding okay I'm going to put my stake in this profession as an artist. You know, when did that moment happen that you decided, oh, this is life for me? Yeah, I mean, again, when you have arts programming yeah. at a school, at a public school, you can you, you can show people a whole new thing. And so at Glenbrook South, at my high school and my middle school, my middle school was called Field Middle School. And then I went to Glenbrook South High School. There was emphasis on the arts and there was opportunities and I kept on doing them and they liked me and I was a theater kid and I, you know, I liked hanging out backstage and I like, you know, making costumes and I liked all the stuff that you do when you're a theater nerd. And then, and then I applied to every college for acting and I didn't, I didn't even get a callback anywhere, to be honest with you. I kind of got a mini callback at Juilliard, but not really. And, um... And then I got accepted to Indiana University, and and I remember my my mom, she the last school we were waiting on was University of Illinois at Champaign Urbana, and I didn't get into that one either. And I knew I wasn't going to get into it because I didn't get a callback. 
And so my mom held the letter and I came home from school and my mom held the letter and she's like, this is from the school. And I had already told her cause she didn't really like, I was the one that was managing basic, much of that like paperwork. Um, but my mom, re I told her that if it's a big envelope, that means you got in. Yes. If it's a small envelope, that means you did not get in. And so my mom was holding the last school and, and, and she goes in Farsi, she was like, did you, um, does this mean that they don't want you? And I said, yeah, it means that they don't want me. And she goes, no, do they not want you for acting? I said, mom, they specifically don't want me for acting. <laughs> and so that was tricky to handle. And my mom was mortified and she's like, what the hell? But to be real with you, Gerald, also what was happening at this time, and this is a little bit of my brother's help. And, and my brother, who's again, 17 years older than me, he was becoming a doctor at this moment. And so my mom had like a little thing to like latch onto. And I kind of like wiggled my way out of there. <laughs> uh, I went to Indiana University. That was the only school I got accepted to. Um, and I went in to meet the undergraduate advisor there. True story. His name is Charles Railsback. I hope he listens to this. Um, and Charles, I asked Charles, how many shows can I do here? And he goes, as many as you want. And, and even though there was no other school to pick from, I was like, that seems like the school for me. So what did you do? What was the, your repertoire when you got oh, there? I did 15 shows in five in four years. What, were there some of them that you did? The first show, my first, I did, I did, um, servant, I played the servant and servant of two masters. I played Iago. I played a little Orlando. Uh, I was lucky in, 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 um, in, um, what was the name of that show? Uh, Waiting for Godot, obviously. Um, and yeah, I played a bunch of cool parts, you know, bunch of cool, you know, Shakespeare and, and, and I didn't care. I went from after I did Servant of Two Masters, my first freshman year, which is the lead of the main stage show. I went and became like a supernumerary, like an extra in a, a, a off campus production of Killian Do. You know what I mean? Like, I just didn't care. I just really just wanted to be in shows. I just wanted to keep doing it. I think I had a very good sense that, that if I do it a lot, I think it will, it will make more and more sense to me. Maybe, you know, I, I was really into that kind of like mode. And is this right that very soon after graduating, you ended up in New York and what I think is so incredible is that you co-founded Waterwell, right? In 2002. So yeah. I love how you took agency over your career that, it, well, can you tell yeah. people what Waterwell is and the beautiful work Waterwell. you do? Thank you so much, Gerald. Waterwell is a um, nonprofit here in New York City. It is a community organizing art and education company. And all three of those engines are really working alongside each other. We believe that we're tackling these really complex questions without being a polemic or without being red or blue or black or white. We're, we're really giving you the truths and we work alongside the communities in which these truths really matter. Yeah. I'll give you an example in a couple of weeks uh, or actually next week now, we're working um, with uh, a bunch of people that are trying to do this act called the Dignity Over Detention Act where Waterwell is making a piece of art to deal with the... Um, 
uh, one of the bills that we're trying to pass in the immigration world called the Dignity Over Detention Act. So that is one example. The community came to us for that. And then on the other aspect of it, we, we are a, um, a vendor of the New York City Department of Education in, in Midtown Manhattan. And for 12 years, we've been teaching grades 6 through 12 um, in a public school setting inside the curriculum, completely tuition-free, um, something we call the artist as citizen in which we teach you how to become a world-class artist, but we also teach you it won't matter unless you better the communities that you care about. Um, where it could be, um, the community could be your mosque, it could be your synagogue, it could be your gaming community, it could be your, your book club. It doesn't really matter. And, and, and we've been teaching that for 12 years and, and on all three of these engines have been going out now for 20 years. And now I am the board chair and the organization is run by the great Lee Sunday oh. Evans, our artistic director. So brilliant. What, what gave you the inspiration to co-found this? Here you are, Lude in New York, right? Mm. An artist trying to trying to make it happen. You say, I'm gonna found co-found this theater company. Do we all these cool Tom Ridgel- Yeah. You know, a lot of the Yeah, I mean that's a great question. I mean, when I was in Indiana University, 9-11 happened. Yeah. And Tom Ridgely and I, who are roommates and best friends, we are, we were so adamant that the theater could be a, a tool for change at 21 years of age. And when 9-11 happened, I, I, that was our patriotic push to be like, we got to do this. We have to do this. And we believe and still do. Our, in our mission statement when we were 22, year, 22 years old in 2002, a year after 9-11, was about accessibility, responsiveness, civic-minded, socially conscious, you know, bringing arts to the world and changing the world through arts. Like, we were, we believed in that. Some of that was just like pure idealism and positivity that we were like pushing out into the world. Some of that was craziness. Some of that was, you know, but, but to be real also, I, we moved to New York city and we knew nobody. Like there is not a huge Indian university alumni network back then. There was nobody. And so how do you put on a play? Well, you got to write the play. And then, oh, they were like, oh, you got to buy the play, but you can't get the rights. Well, how do you get the rights? You can't. You have to pay for it. We can't. Well, just write the play. Okay, write the play. Who's going to direct it? Nobody. We'll direct it. Okay, we'll direct it. And we just kept on doing that. And the first three years of Waterwell, we put out five shows in three years, all written, directed, and produced by us. And the fifth one was a show called The Persians, a comedy about war with five songs. And that kind of blew up. The New York Times came, and then I got signed by a big agency. And... And then we just kept on moving that engine forward. And, and it wasn't very popular, the type of work we were doing. And, and, and we weren't really actually even going after too many theater audience goers, but the industry respected us and they knew what we were doing and they just, you know, but it was just not a popular form at the time. Anyway, all this to say is that kind of led to more and more things. And along the way, I was teaching at the school. Uh, at at the professional performing arts school in Midtown Manhattan, and and then and then Waterwell in two thousand nine put in a bid to run the education program, and here we are now. That's so extraordinary! I love how you devise work, you know, with the students, with the, you know, and yeah. how and how it informed your career as well, and how it led to your, like you said, getting an agent and all the, these pieces, you know, because you were following yeah. your passion, your path, your way instead of just sitting back waiting for the phone to ring. 
Yeah, I, I, I feel like a little bit of that is just the privilege of being an immigrant, to be honest with yeah. you. Um, mm-hmm. That I, I have that privilege over other people just because I, I, there's this immigrant mentality that we hope that we are here doing enough for our parents' struggles. Yes. You yeah. know what I mean? And that, that feeling, no matter how much I try to fill that hole, it's kind of unfillable, <laughs> you know? So a little bit of it just is just pure, like, we're going to get this done. Mm-hmm. And again, like I said, it, none of it feels as hard as, as, as that earlier stuff. And yet amazing people around us. Tom Raji is a genius. Yeah. We have these amazing people that just... It just started with the two of us, and then it became five people, then ten people. You know, now we're, you know, you know, we, we 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 have you know fifteen faculty. We do a lot. You know, we. I'm very proud of what the work that Waterwell does and continues to do. Well, can we talk about succession? And sure. <laughs> and uh, well, what do you miss about that experience? I know it's been several months since you shot it. The thing I miss most about succession. There's two things I miss most about succession. The people and the scripts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm going to miss. Yeah. And I'm curious, everybody has an opinion who I talked to said who, who they wanted to take over. And what a fascinating choice, you know, that none of the kids got to take over. Mm-hmm. Who, who mm-hmm. do you think you would like to take over? Uh, well, Gerald, there's only one answer. <laughs> Stewie. That's what I thought. There's only one answer. One, co- one competent person amongst a bunch of fools. Um, and why? I mean, why? Yeah. Well, I mean, well, the funny thing about Stewie is Stewie at the end of it still is with Tom, too. Yeah. You know, that's the amazing thing about Stewie. He will go for whoever wins. Yeah. I think, you know, of all of those folks, who does Aryan think should win? Yes. I don't think any. I think they should all lose. I hope they all lose. Why? Because they're just. I, I, you know who I think? Because I despise them. <laughs> I despise those people. And I despise people that have that much wealth and that much power over us. Yes. I really do. Um, um, I'm talking about the point zero 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 zero. I'm talking about the Logan Roy's of the world. Like, no one should have that much energy and power. In the last uh, season, there's this episode where it's the it's election night. And you're seeing these young, these two sons and this and and the the Roy family make decisions about our future right in front of our eyes. And we all, honestly, that's that to me is like the most the scariest succession episode because we all think that's that's how it goes. That's probably how that plays. And and to be real with you, I hope that they all fail. Well, they have so much. Ewan, Ewan, Ewan is who I like. Ewan. Well, they they have so much power. It's really Shakespeare. When I think about, I mean, it's like Macbeth or Hamlet that they're just so that they're they're so base and and complicated and and can be. I hate the word. I don't like the word evil, but like there's this. There's some evil There's in there. There's a lot of evil, you know, when you think about yeah. the things that they did or got away with. And it's the scripts, though, are fascinating because you really do care about them. That's the thing. We care yeah. about Stewie, as yeah. corrupt as he is. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> you know. Totally, yeah. totally. And I want to talk about also you hurt my feelings because here, granted, some projects, like long-term projects, have come to an end this month. But you have this beautiful new movie. You hurt my feelings. So, can you talk about that from A twenty four? 
And you play A24 an actor? Has this, yeah. Yeah, A24 has this amazing new movie written by and directed by Nicole Hall of Center called You Hurt My Feelings, starring the unbelievable um, Julia Louis-Dreyfus as the lead. And yeah, I play Mark, this kind of out-of-work actor who might be okay but is not great um but really still believes in it and still wants to do it and and the story is a very simple one it's what happens if your loved one you find out that they actually don't like your work and julia louis dreyfus finds out very early on that her new no- memoir that she's been writing that 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 he has been saying that he loved her, her husband has said it's not very good. And she finds out. And how do you deal with that? And that opens up just that's just the tip of the iceberg because it opens up so many other things. There are so many reasons where we, you know, with the parental, with kids, you know. So it's a glorious movie. Movie theaters only. Please go check it out. You're it really feels like an all nostalgic way of watching movies back like back in the day you went to the movie theater it's yeah. so fun and i think about the complexities of relationships you know watching it thinking when is it okay to really tell the truth to someone you love you know without you know is that safe sometimes you know yeah. is it protecting them tricky you know it is tricky because you tricky. don't want to hurt people you love but if you can't tell them the truth who can you know, and we're all, yeah, I'm cute. I feel that way. I feel that way all the time. Yeah. You know, should you, should you not, you know, it's okay. You know, if it's, if it's, if I'm really passionate about it and I, you know, it's do or die, I think my wife will just lie to me. That's fine. <laughs> you can tell me later. Tell me like a year from now. You know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I hate it. Okay, fine. It's over. Can I take these three characters, Torvald? Stewie, and who you play in You Hurt My Mark. Mark, forgive me. And Mark, what do you love about them? They're all very Aww. rich, very delicious. <laughs> what do you love about each one? <laughs> I love Stewie's confidence. I love... Oh, horrible. Horrible. Um, I love... Hmm. Tricky one. Good question, <laughs> Cheryl. Okay. Um, I love. I. I think that Torvald, though misguided and clueless, really does love Nora. I love that he loves her. I think he loves her in all the mistaken ways, but I do believe that the love that he has for her is genuine. And when he, and when she leaves him, he, he's devastated. It's heartbreaking because I can't stop thinking of the children. Oh, so and, and it's so, it's painful. I remember, I, I get so invested in that character. Yeah. And I think, is Torval trying to save his family? At the, uh, yeah. And as you're as misguided and clueless yeah, as he clueless, is, narcissist. narcissist, also mm-hmm. and and cruel, uh, cruel, and and he also, I also think, well, context. I mean, women didn't have the right to vote; they couldn't own property; they weren't looked as as real as yeah. citizens. You know, the women yeah. were seen very differently back then, and yeah. and Norris done something really. In his mind, yeah. and society yeah, could destroys him, could 
destroy him. And it's, uh, I mean, it, it happens back then. It, I mean, to be honest with you, shit like that happens today. I mean, we think that we in our bubbles in the East Coast. I mean, there are things like this happening day to day, everywhere across the country, the globe, Iran, everywhere. And so, and, 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 um, and sometimes we turn an eye, you know, we turn a blind eye to it. We, we don't, we, we don't, we don't see it because we have been so brainwashed by the misogyny that's been put upon us that we don't even know what's, what up is up anymore. Right. You know, um, right. going back to Mark, yes. what I love about Mark is that, um, is that even though he might, even though he might not be the world's greatest actor, he's got the resilience to keep pushing ahead. I like that about him. He's a resilience, unstoppable. Yeah, can, <laughs> can I ask why you? I love the choice in a doll's house. It, uh, Nora literally. I mean, I could give it away now. I hope that's okay to give it away. Every um, yeah, that she literally walks out of the theater. Literally, yeah. yeah. Absolutely rivet because I thought, no, is she really literally what literally walks onto 45th Street? 45th Street. That's such a fascinating choice. Do you, do you can you give some insight into that incredible choice to have her? Jamie, little, yeah, <laughs> Jamie Lloyd knew it from the very beginning that that the ending of the play, how the ending was going to be. Because when we met in London, he described it to me, and I thought it was like, holy goodness, that's going to be fantastic. Um, and, and so that was, yeah. So he knew it from the very, very jump and, and every night it was just, a, a, you know, a coup de tarte as, as, as Brian Cox said to us, he's like, so coup de tarte, coup de tarte. I was like, okay, thanks. Um, and, um, and it was, it was just how exciting to see our heroine walk out into this crazy world that is New York with color and sound and just see what that it all feels like and be like, oh my God, what is happening here? Did you have people back there sort of monitoring? There was all? two people yeah. on the sides okay. with like, um, <laughs> yeah. So they had a permit for the block. The block was closed up. Um, there's security guards on both sides. Um, but that being said, um, there was paparazzi and fans on each side every night. So it's extraordinary. And I love the layers of you that you play so many eclectic characters. I mean, that, that you could play Torvald and also Stewie at the, at what, and then of course, human, the humans and Marvel. Yeah. And uh, is there a, uh, a role you're aching to play or kind of character who you haven't played yet? You're like, I've got to tackle this. I really want to do a comedy. That's what I really, uh, I, yes. you know, I want to do a romantic comedy. That's what I really want to do. All right. I read that with Jessica Chastain, right? That, that, yeah. that, that would be amazing to. Yeah. It'd be a fun, it would be a fun duo. <laughs> that would be a really fun duo. And is there something in a parallel universe, if you could go back to that kid in ESL class who was uh-huh. just discovering acting, you know, finding your way, is there something you wish Knowing what you know now, you could tell that kid. It's not always as scary as it seems. You know, I think I lived with a lot of fear growing up. Yeah. Yeah. And how beautiful that you're a teacher, you know, that you can, Mm. what does that give you? 
be a teacher? You know, I think te- being a te- I, I, you know teaching for almost seventeen years at the high school level, which is the level that I love more than any level, is um, is it teaches me, um, you know, to think outside of myself. That the, that there's so much more to this world than acting. You know what I mean? There's, there's, it's, it's about stories. It's about hearing other people's stories. You know, I'm so honored. I have so many of my students are now, you know, 12 years. Well, I've been teaching for 17, but 12 years of Waterwall students. There's so many students of mine that are playwrights. Um, there's someone that's running a nonprofit in the Bronx. There's someone that's, you know, starting her own, you know, uh, fashion line. And there's so much stuff that they're doing out there, um, working in the environment, working in one of our students is, uh, the, you know, a lead of the new Iron Ironheart. She is Ironheart. Um, so, uh, to me that, you know, gives me so much joy, but it also, you know, selfishly gives me so much confidence to do everything else with, with more ease because it feels outside of myself. I don't, I, I, you know, even sometimes teaching, I say this to people selfishly, just do it selfishly. Giving to others is a nice, gives you, gives you a little boost that you might need. Well, it's such a gift to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking the time and have a great day. You too, you too. It still happens every day. When lightning strikes, it's the moment you know. The theme song was written by Tom McGovern. This episode was edited by Kyle Moore. This episode was produced by Anna Strand. When lightning strikes. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.